Thank you, Lee and Carrie, for helping us to worship in that way. If you have your Bibles, please turn with us to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. There's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. And in a few moments, I'm going to read from Numbers chapter 6. This will be the last sermon in our series on worship. If you've been with us, we've looked at different parts of the worship service, and we've asked the question, why do we worship? Why do we have a call to worship? Why do we have music and singing in worship? And today, we're going to ask the question, why do we have a benediction in our worship service? Here in number 6, the verses I'm going to read beginning in verse 22, God tells Moses how Aaron and his sons, who are the priests, are to bless the people at the close of the worship service. And this is how services end, beginning at this point in the temple and later in the synagogues, as it's God's desire that his, that his people receive a good word of blessing from him at the conclusion of worship services. And we'll see this together as we come to Numbers chapter 6. I will begin reading in verse 22. Hear now God's word. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can gather in this way in order to study your word and in order to have you speak to us as your people. Father, we do ask now that you would teach us about this benediction, this good word of blessing from you. And I pray that you would show us how this benediction can make a difference in our everyday lives. And Father, as I have prayed privately, I now pray publicly that you would use even the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher to accomplish these purposes. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. What is a benediction? Let's start right there. In fact, let me ask it this way. Let me give you a fill-in-the-blank Question. If you attend Redeemer Church often, you have heard me at the end of worship services come up right at that last song, and I always say, please remain standing in order to receive the benediction, which is, fill in the blank, God's good word to you. And the reason I say that is that is the definition of benediction. It's God's good word to his people. In fact, if you were a student of Latin, you recognize that in the word benediction. Bena means good, like a benefit. Diction means word. And so benediction comes from the Latin, which literally means good word. Now, if you are paying attention and listening and you're looking here at the text, you have your Bible open to number six, you notice that neither the word benediction nor 
good or word appear in this text. You don't see that here. That's from the Latin. This was written in Hebrew. So what would the text say? How would the text define benediction? And while those words don't appear, there is a word that appears three times in the text. Did you see it? There in verse 23, God says, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Verse 24 says, the Lord bless you and keep you. And then in verse 27, God says, and I will bless them. You see, the benediction is God's good word to his people, and it is a blessing from God. And so let's look at the text now, and and let's look at what the nature of this blessing is in this benediction in number six, because that sort of teaches us or instructs us the kind of blessings that God speaks over his people at the conclusion of a worship service. So let's look at that together. What is the blessing in this benediction in number six? Well, the first thing you see right there in verse 24, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. That word keep is a word that means to guard something. Uh, That same word is used elsewhere in the Bible in a slightly different form for guard duty. It means to watch over something, to protect something. When we think of guarding a lot of times in our culture, we think about sports. If I say, I will guard Lee, you guard Jeremy, then it means we're going to stay really close to them. We're going to be right in front of their face. We're going to defend them. We're not going to let them get very far away. We're going to keep our eye on them. And that's close to what's going on. In this culture, they would not be thinking athletics they would be thinking in military terms. And so if you were going to keep and guard something, then it was something strategic. It was something precious. If you're going to keep or guard the hill or your home, you're going to stay close to it, you're going to watch over it, and you're going to protect it from anyone from the outside. And that gives you a picture of what this blessing is. When it says the Lord bless you and keep you, It's telling us that the blessing is is that God is right there with you, that he's not far away at all, that he's keeping his eye on you, and more specifically, that you're valuable to him, that you are precious to him, and he's going to protect you, he's going to keep and protect you from any threats from the outside. So that's the beginning of this blessing is that we, God would keep us. And then in verse 25, you see it says, The Lord be gracious to you. So this blessing involves the Lord's grace. Many times when we approach the Lord, we have a tendency to think, If I do good things, then God will give us good stuff. Sort of that karma view of the world. And I should say, to be accurate, there are blessings that come with our obedience. For instance, we don't enjoy the blessings of a faithful marriage unless we are faithful to our spouse. And so the blessings of a faithful marriage come with faithfulness. So there are some blessings that come with obedience. But that's not the kind of blessing that God is speaking over his people here. When it says the Lord be gracious to you, it has that word grace in it. Grace means that we haven't earned this blessing. 
It means that we haven't done anything so that God would owe us this. We have not merited this blessing. It means that God is giving us better than what we deserve. And so in this blessing, God stays close to us. He guards us. He, we're precious to him. And he gives us better than what we deserve. That is the nature of grace itself. And the blessing is that God would be gracious to us. I see a third thing there in the text. It says in verse 26, the Lord give you peace. I wonder what you think about when you hear the word peace or God giving us peace. For many of us, when we think of peace, we just think about the absence of war or the absence of hostility. If you are looking for peace in your heart, then perhaps you are looking for the absence of anxiety. If you have been quarantined with children, maybe to you right now, peace would just be associated with peace and quiet. I don't know what you think of when you think of peace. But I want you to know that to the the Hebrew mind, the word that God uses here is shalom. And this idea of peace to the Hebrew mind, this idea of shalom is much broader than we typically use the English word peace. Shalom is more comprehensive. The word shalom means completeness. It means wholeness. It means safety in the sense of being safe and sound. It means security in the sense of being safe and secure. It carries the connotation of prosperity, of doing well. It carries the idea of tranquility. And it means all these things in all areas of life. That we would experience these things physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. That we would be doing well in the whole person. I wonder... Where do you typically look for this kind of blessing? To be guarded, to be protected, to get better than what you deserve, to have this kind of peace in all areas of life. Many of us look to money. As long as there's a balance there in the checking account, we feel like we will be okay. And that's been threatened for some of us during this time. Many of us look to family or we look to our relational network that we know people and that gives us safety or security or is going to protect us and keep us. And during this quarantine, we felt even that taken away from us. Many of us rely on our own skills. As long as I'm able to perform this thing, as long as I have this gift or ability, then I can provide for my family. That's been threatened during this time. Many of us look to the government to protect us or to keep us or to guard us. And certainly that is part of what biblically God institutes governments among men to do, but they don't do so perfectly. Some of us look to food for comfort or entertainment or pleasure or sex. Some of us actually look to suffering to make everything okay. Life doesn't really work unless I'm hurting, unless I am sacrificing in some way. Some of us don't look for pleasure, but we actually look for suffering in order to have peace in our hearts or to give us peace. For some of us, it's acceptance. For others, it's achievement. I wonder, how can you know where you typically look to get this kind of blessing? How can you discern that? 
Well, let me tell you one way I've learned to do so, and that is to do this. It's important that you follow your feelings back to their source. Now, let me be clear about that, because somebody's going to walk away and say, well, Pastor Scott said, just follow your feelings, do whatever you want to do. And that is certainly not what I am saying. What I'm doing is asking the question, how can I know where I typically look to get this blessing, to get this idea, to get this feeling that everything is okay? How can I discern that? And I'm telling you that one way to do that is to follow your feelings back to their source. Or another way to say it is, study your strong emotions and ask yourself, why does this make me so angry? And when you give an answer, say, well, why does that make me so angry? And to continue to study and to follow your feelings back to their source. It doesn't just have to be anger. You can say, why am I so afraid? Why does this make me so fearful? What is it that I'm afraid of? Sometimes we do it with, with more positive feelings. Why am I so excited about this? Why am I so happy so we can do it with our depression, with our anxiety. And the reason we trace these emotions or we follow them back to our source is this. We have strong emotions when whatever we look to for blessing is blocked from us or if it is threatened in some way. And that's why many of us are feeling these strong emotions during this time. It's because we are looking in, trusting in, relying on other things besides the Lord to make everything okay for us. And during these times in particular, those things we rely on are being exposed. And we're able to see more clearly that we trust in other things besides God. This is important for us at the church because we often say, if asked, well, I trust in the Lord Jesus and his finished work on earth. I trust in God. And then we walk away and we are as angry and as anxious and as afraid uh, as anyone who doesn't follow God at all. And so it's important for us to trace these strong feelings and emotions back to see what it is that we're really trusting in, what our functional gods are so that we can turn from those things back to the living God. Let me give you an example just from my own life. Uh, a little over a week ago, I was just really out of sorts. I was unsettled. I was irritable. I was short with my family. And you may be thinking to yourself, welcome to quarantine, right? That's a lot of what I thought was going on as well. But something interesting happened. After our worship service last Sunday, I was so relieved. I felt so much better. In fact, I was elated. I was so excited about how things had gone. And I was so happy to look online and to see many of your responses, to see pictures of family gathered around a screen, worshiping together, and how meaningful it was to people. And all those are good things. But let's trace my emotions back to their source. You see, when I was separated from you, when I didn't know how you were doing, then I was anxious, unsettled, irritable. If I didn't know how you were, I didn't know how I was. 
And then when you were happy about what had happened online and you felt like that you had really been ministered to, then I was happy. You see, I was looking to your approval for blessing. I was looking to making you happy for my significance and for my blessing. That's what I was relying on. That's what I was trusting in as my functional God. And I realized that by tracing those feelings back, by following my strong emotions, which led me to repentance, led me to say, Lord, forgive me. Because blessing is found in you alone and the approval of people cannot give me what you alone can give. The next question I wanted us to look at together is where can we actually find this type of blessing? And of course, I've already started the answer to that in my repentance, right? Where do we find real peace? Where do we find real security? And the text is very clear on this. Look at it with me. Notice that grammatically, there's no reason to repeat the Lord so many times. But it's repeated so often. You see it there in verse 24. The Lord said to Moses, or that's verse 22. Verse 24, the Lord bless you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord give you peace. You see, the text is answering the question, where do we actually find this kind of, this kind of blessing? The Lord the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the text says over and over again. When you get to verse 27, when God says, I will bless them, the I is emphatic. God is saying, I myself, I, even I, will be the one who blesses my people. So it is the Lord, the text tells us, where we actually find this type of blessing of real peace and real security. But I want you to notice something else about the text. Because there's something in particular about the Lord where we look for this blessing. And you see it mentioned twice, once in verse 25 and once in verse 26. You see it there in verse 25, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Verse 26, the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. What is all this about the Lord's face? If you've done the children's catechism with your kids, we learned the Lord is a spirit and has no body like you and I. So God doesn't have literal physical hands and feet or a face. So what am I supposed to do with this text? Well, it's figurative language. God is teaching us something about himself when he refers to his face. And God's face is a picture of his being close to us in an intimate way. And in the scripture, when God hides his face, it's because he is angry with his people and he often gives them over to their sin. You can see this referred to many places, but just a few weeks ago in Deuteronomy 31, beginning in verse 19, where we saw that God gave that song to Moses to teach the people. And we talked about how powerful music was that the people would forget God, but they wouldn't forget a song. If you look in the two verses right before that, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 17 and 18, God refers to hiding his face from the people because of their sin and because he's giving them over to their sin. So when God hides his face, he's angry with his people and he's giving them over to the desires that they have that are things other than him. 
But when God turns his face toward us, then we experience his presence in a close and intimate way. And this kind of blessing referred to in the text comes from seeking God's face. You see this clearly in Psalm 4. David, a man after God's own heart, writes in Psalm 4, beginning in verse 6. Listen to what David says. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Maybe you're asking that question right now. Who can show us anything good? Where is all the good? So where has it gone? The scripture asked that here in verse 6. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than they have when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Do you hear that relationship between God's face and blessing? David is saying, I have more of a blessing, I have more joy from this close, intimate relationship to God than other people who don't have God, more than the joy they have when they get everything else they want, that they have wine, they have grain, but they don't have the Lord. David's also saying here, do you hear the connection he makes between God's face and and peace or protection? He says in verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So that idea of the Lord's peace and the Lord's protection is also associated with the Lord's face. God's presence is everywhere. Theologians say that God is omnipresent. Psalm 139 and verse 7, the psalmist asked the question, Where can I go from your presence? Because there's nowhere that we can go that we are not in the presence of God. But when God's face turns towards us, then we experience his presence in a close and intimate way. You've probably experienced that before. Maybe you've experienced it during this quarantine. As you well know, you can be in a room with someone and be in their presence, but not really connected to them in a close and intimate way. Maybe you've been in a room with somebody recently and they have an electronic device and all you see is the top of their head as they look. You're present with them in the room, but you're not connecting. But if they turn their face toward you, then there's a real connection. And you can connect in a real and intimate way, which is sometimes why we say, look at me. Because we want someone to turn their face toward us so that we can connect. So when God turns his face toward us, there is real relational intimacy that is different from just the mere presence of God where we are. And what the text is saying is that blessings come not just from God's presence, because God's present everywhere, But the blessings come from a close relational intimacy with God when his face is toward us. In fact, I would go a step further and say the blessing is a close intimate relationship with God. Because he can give us nothing higher than himself. He can give us nothing better 
than his face, than a close and intimate relationship with him. So if that's where the text says blessing comes from, let me ask you, do you have a close, intimate relationship with God? I had somebody ask me this week, how can I have that kind of a relationship with God? And really, it's important to remember that God is a person, just like we are people. And we have a relationship with God, just like we have a relationship with any other person. We talk to the person and we share the things in our head and in our heart. And then we listen to that person, talk to us as they share what's in their head and their heart. And we hear what that person thinks about the things in our head and in our heart. And we consider and ponder what things they value and what they have in their head and their heart. And it's the same with God. Pouring out our head and our heart to him, that's just prayer and worship. Listening to God speak to us comes through his word as he speaks to us through his word. And just like any relationship takes time... We have to spend time with God doing those things to develop a close, intimate relationship with him. So we know the things he loves. We know the things that he hates. And we know what he thinks about the way we live and move and have our being and the things that he has for us, the purpose, the mission, the significance that he has for us in this world. So if there's nothing higher, nothing better than a close, intimate relationship with God, do you have one? I would challenge you to spend time talking to and listening to him during this time. Now, there is a burning question in the text that Moses has to be asking at this point. Do you know the story of Moses? You can read back in Exodus 33, Moses had led God's people out of their slavery in Egypt. And they're out in the wilderness. And Moses is saying, God, I want to know you. I want to have this close personal relationship with you. Lord, will you show me your glory? Can I actually see your glory with my eyes? And God says to Moses in Exodus 33, Okay, I will show you my glory. I'm going to put you in the cleft, kind of a a divot in the rock. I'm going to put you in this uh, little division in the rock. And I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I will pass by saying my name to you. And after I pass by, I will take my hand off and you can see my back, but you may not see my face because no one can see my face and live. And here in Numbers 6, we look at the text and the blessing is the Lord would make his face shine upon us, that the Lord would turn his face toward us. And so Moses has to be thinking, "Uh, God, excuse me, in Exodus 33, you told me no one could see your face and live. And now in Numbers 6, seeing your face is supposed to be a blessing? I thought that an unholy people would be incinerated by seeing the glory of the face of God. Well, there is something that took place between Exodus 33 and Numbers 6. We said that Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. Exodus is the second. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And in between Exodus 33 and Numbers 6 comes the book of Leviticus. And there we read 
that Aaron, you can read in Leviticus 9, down around verse 22, Aaron would lift his hands toward the people, which is why I lift my hands when I am giving a benediction, that Aaron would lift his hands toward the people and bless them after he sacrificed the sin offering and the burnt offering and the fellowship offering in the temple. You see, after sacrifice is made for sin, then God's face can look upon us and have it be a blessing. Well, what about for us? We haven't sacrificed anything here today at our facility on Florence Boulevard. No, but the book of Hebrews in chapter 9 and verse 28 tells us that Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sin of many people. You see, God's face brings us blessing and not death because of the death and the sacrifice of his son. In fact, when you really think about it, the cross is the exact opposite of this blessing. Think about that. The blessing is the Lord will bless you. Did the Lord bless Jesus when he was on the cross? No, Jesus experienced the curse of God so that we could receive this blessing from God. The text says, the Lord bless you and keep you. On the cross, did, the, did God keep and watch over and stay close to Jesus? No, on the cross, God handed over his son to sinful men and abandoned him. He did not stay close to him so that... We could draw near to God so that he would never leave us and never forsake us. The text says that the Lord will make his face shine upon us. Did God make his face shine upon Jesus on the cross? No. We'll sing in a moment and how deep the Father's love for the Father turned his face away. And that Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did that so that God could turn his face toward us and never leave us and never forsake us. The text says that God would be gracious to us. Was God gracious to Jesus on the cross, giving him better than he deserved? No, he got something he didn't deserve at all. He deserved all honor and praise and glory because he had not sinned in any way, yet he took the punishment for our sins so that we could receive the blessing of God. The text says that the Lord will give us peace. Did the Lord give Jesus on the cross peace, wholeness, security in all parts of life, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional? The... No. Jesus experienced hell, separation from God in all of those areas so that we could be made whole, so that we could be secure, so that we could experience the peace of God. Jesus was sacrificed for us so that we may receive this blessing from God. That is a huge theological truth, but I want you to know it has very practical applications. I was talking to someone recently. This man was very angry at God, and when we really got down to what he was mad about, he said to me, he said, God has never done anything for me, so I don't see why I should do anything for him. Because he had some unanswered prayers that God had not answered the way that he wanted them answered. But when we hear someone say, God's never done anything for me when he was willing to crush his son, 
when he was willing to undergo what we deserve so that we could get better than what we deserved, we can't say God's never done anything for us. I had someone say to me recently, I never really felt like God cared for me, that he wasn't really there for me. Certainly the cross shows us not just that God cares, but that he loves us immensely, that we're precious to him, that he would be willing to crush his own son, that he'd be willing to to do that for us, to show his care and his love for his people. Jesus was there on the cross for us so that we could be close to God. I heard, I talked to somebody else this week that said, I really don't feel like I have any worth because I can't do anything. I just can't be productive. I can't be efficient. That's what we talked about earlier. We're finding our blessing in being able to do stuff and being productive and being efficient. But the cross shows us that we do have worth because we are God's purchased people that he shed his blood. Well, while we're very practical, let me ask one other question as we close. I want to ask the question, what difference does the benediction itself make in our lives? Why would we have this blessing from God spoken over his people as we leave worship? Well, I hope by now you've seen that the benediction is much more than the meeting is adjourned, you are dismissed. No, the benediction is much more than that. You see, in the benediction, God's people are not just leaving. God's people are being sent. And as God sends his people out, we're being sent out with the promise of God's presence, with the promise of God's protection, with the promise of God's provision, and the promise of God's peace. And as we are sent out, We're not sent out as orphans who have no father. God says here in the text that he gives, that he puts his name on us, that we're adopted into his family. As we're sent out, we're not sent out to prove ourselves, to be productive. We're being sent out as accepted, affirmed children of the king, sent out by the king with the blessing of the king. We go out blessed by the king, empowered by the king, filled with his spirit. We're sent out with a blessing and sent out to be a blessing to all those with which we come into contact. And as we do that, we're guarded by the king. As we do the king's work to grow his kingdom. As we're sent out to be salt and light wherever he sends us. May God bless this group of people in that way. Let's pray and ask him to do that in our midst. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak words of blessing, that you speak a good word over your people. We thank you for the finished work of Christ on the cross that enables us to receive the blessing from you, that we can have a close and intimate relationship with you because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.